In the book of Mark chapter 4, we're going to read beginning with verse 35, continue to read through verse 41, Mark 4. And the same day when the evening was come, he saith unto his disciples, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship and there was also with him other little ships. There arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full, full of water. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillar. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? He arose, rebuked the wind. And said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. There was a great calm. He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord Tonight, And let me say before we get into the message how much we appreciate all that you are doing. Uh, we're just having a great time. Joan and I told her this afternoon we're getting dressed to come to service. I said, can you believe it's Thursday already? I'm telling you, these weeks just fly by when you're having a good time, right? But, and we've certainly had a great time, all the hospitality, everything that you've done. This, of course, is a very familiar passage of Scripture that we've read to you. Mark and other gospel writers talk to us, and we have different accounts of Jesus calming the storm. But I, wanna, I want to uh, call your attention to that 38th verse. And he, Christ, was in the hinder part of the ship asleep on a pillar. And they'll wake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not? that we perish. I want to preach to you tonight on a simple thought, awaken the master. Just wake him up. He's ready. He's just waiting. So we're going to awaken the master, awake the master tonight and see exactly what God's going to do for us in this service. There's so much that I'd like to point out in these verses of Scripture. There's so much truth. Christ, of course, has been teaching there by the seashore, on the seashore, by the side of the sea. And then when they sent away the multitude, Jesus said, let us pass over to the other side. There's a very wonderful thought here. He said, let us. I'm going with you. You're not going alone. And together, we're going to pass over to the other side. Isn't that a comforting thought to know that we don't have to go alone, but we're going to pass over. He's going with us. Let us pass over unto the other side. In other words, he said, we'll make this journey no matter what happens. But then, of course, we know the storm comes and all of this, and we're going to come back, going to talk about that. Now, the Bible said they took him as he was. I believe this is one of the problems of modern-day religion. They want to dress up this Christ. They want to make something out of him that he's not. 
but you have to take him as he is. You have to take him as he is in the word of God. We rewrite the Bible. We redo everything in the world because there's just some things about Christ that some people don't like, and they, but you can't change him. He is what he is. Christ does not conform to me, ladies and gentlemen, but I conform to Christ. Anything else does not work at all, but I must conform to Christ. There's some things we're going to talk about, but if you drop down with me here for uh, uh, just a moment, then we'll back up and get into the heart of the message. I want to point out to you tonight that in this chapter, in this passage of Scripture, uh, he talks about fear, but there are two different kinds of fear that are talked about here tonight that we want to get into here in just a few moments. There's fear. There was fear of the storm, and then when he calmed the storm, the Bible said they feared exceedingly, saying, what manner of man is this? So there's two different fears that we talk about here tonight, the fear of the storm and then the fear of God. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But we know that John, Brother Andy, read the call to worship from 1 John and spoke of that being one of his favorite books of the Bible, and it's powerful. But in the book of 1 John chapter 4, John said there is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now, the setting of our message tonight, of course, is Jesus and his disciples in a boat. And the Bible said you will realize and, and call your remembrance here that there were also with him other little ships. And that's a very important thing for us to understand tonight also. But in this story, we see 13 men in a boat. 12 disciples and Jesus, and they're crossing the Sea of Galilee, going to the other side. As they get into that boat and they cross over the sea in that boat, we find that a great storm comes. We tonight are all crossing the Sea of Life. They are between where they were and where they're going, and they come into a storm. There's a great truth here that we must understand, that as we cross this sea of life from the day of our birth to the day of our death, it's not always going to be smooth sailing. And I believe I can get an amen on that, that many are the storms of life that are going to come. I've been through my storms. You've been through your storms, and if I live many more days, I'm going to go through another storm, and you are going to go through another storm. But remember, he said, let us pass over, amen, to the other side. Let us pass over to the other side. This is a promise that the storm will not destroy us. This is a promise that we're going to safely make this journey. I've come tonight to encourage some to tell you that it's not always going to be like it is right now because we have the promise of God that he'll never leave us and he'll never forsake us, 
but he's going to go with us all the way uh, through this storm that we're in. But now these disciples, there are 13, 12 disciples in Christ. There's another uh, person, if you want to call it that, in that boat, even though you can't see him with the physical eye, but he's there, and he's always there in the midst of every storm, a little invisible fellow that we'll call Mr. Fear. He's always there. Isn't it amazing how fear always shows up at such a time in our life? But now they're crossing that sea, and the wind coming. The Bible said there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, and the ship is now full. Now, we understand that in a time like this, our natural response is fear. Our natural response is to feel that emotion rise up in us, and immediately we think we're going to die. And immediately we think we're not going to make it, and we're not going to survive. You know that feeling, right? Because you see, the storm always arouses fear. The storm always arouses fear. Now the scripture tells us here that Christ is in the hinder part of the ship asleep. He's been through a long day of preaching, a long day of teaching, a long day of ministering to a multitude. And now in that ship, he is asleep. Fear is also asleep in that ship. Because you see, when they launched out into the Sea of Galilee, they were not afraid. When they began to row across the Sea of Galilee, Jesus put his head on a pillar and went to sleep. But fear was also asleep in that boat. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Everything's good for you right now. And if you're in that situation, you ought to be glad. Everything's good. You got plenty of money. All the children are well. The rent's paid. The light bill's paid. Everything's good. You just been to the doctor, and he's, he's told you if you don't die, you'll probably make at least 80, and uh, everything's just good. And you say, fear is nowhere to be found. But I want to tell you, even when the sun is shining, fear is there, it's just asleep. Even when the sun, when everything is going good, you're never very far away from Mr. Fear. I want you to understand that. I'm telling you, you say, well, preacher, I don't know. I'm doing good. I'm not afraid. Fear's not bothering me at all. No, no, no. But let me tell you how close he is. While you're sitting in this service right now, fear is so close to you that if you have a pain in the left side of your chest bang in a twinkling of an eye and you have trouble catching the next breath, you're going to find out that fear was not very far away, that he came to church with you. He's sitting right on that seat beside you. He's just waiting for something to happen to arouse him. Amen. Oh, no. You say, preacher, I'm not afraid of anything. No. But you leave this service tonight. You drive down that highway out there and some idiot runs a stoplight and pulls out ahead of you. Brother, fear's not 50 miles away. Fear's not 20 miles away. He's not even 20 feet away. For quicker than I can tell it, fear has jumped up and got a hold of you and is telling you you're going to die. You're going to get broken up because 
because you see, so in that boat, it's a beautiful, calm afternoon. Jesus is in the boat asleep. Fear is in the boat asleep. And all of a sudden, the thunder booms, the lightning flashes, the wind begins to blow, the waves come. And you know what happened? The storm arouses fear. Amen. The storm comes. And Mr. Fear jumps up right in the middle of that boat. He didn't have to catch a train, plane, a bus to get there. He was there all the time. And the storm aroused him. And all of a sudden, these disciples are gripped with the spirit of fear. Fear does three things. Ladies and gentlemen, fear talks, fear touches, and fear torments. So fear, the storm, has aroused fear. And fear begins to speak to these men. Fear begins to talk to these disciples. Fear reach out, reaches out and touches these disciples. It is mental. Fear touches my mind. Fear talks to me. Fear touches my flesh. I'm standing here tonight. But ladies and gentlemen, that pain I talked about a few minutes ago, shoot through my chest, can't have a hard time catching that next breath. And I can promise you in a millisecond, fear will come. It will affect my body, my mind. will hear the voice of fear say, you're going to die. My body will feel the touch of fear. And I'll begin to shake. And I'll begin to tremble. And then fear will begin to torment me and say that girl back there will have to make that trip back to Mississippi alone because you're going to die. Fear talks. Fear touches. And fear torments. You know that. You've been there just like I have. Oh God. Oh my Father. You say preacher I don't understand. Listen. I can illustrate this for you. In the year January. January 1972. I was preaching revival. Gilbert Town, Alabama where Brother Doug Chapman is the current pastor. My father pastored about, I don't know, 15, 20 miles from Gilbert Town in Butler, Alabama. I'm in revival there in Gilbert Town, 1972, uh, January. I'm not yet at my 22nd birthday, just a kid preacher. I go by Butler, pick my father up, my wife and Scott, that preacher boy, six months old at the time, they decided that they would stay with my mother and my dad would go with me to revival in Gilbert Town, Alabama. I got there that night, a young 21-year-old whippersnapper preacher. I'm telling you, I preached near God like blue blazes. I'm telling you, I told them how the cow ate the cabbage. I'm telling you, I felt like I'm 10 foot tall. I'm conquer the world. My dad was there. And we had a powerful and tremendous service. But let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. No, I wasn't afraid of anything. I felt that anointing. I felt that presence. I felt that power of God. Oh, my God. 
got there. But listen, that service was over. My dad and I got in my car to drive back up the road uh, to his home where my wife and child was. As we were pulling out of that parking lot, a car was turning in. Some of you young people don't, re don't realize this, but we didn't have cell phones in 1972. Amen. Uh, some folks still had party lines that far back. <laughs> I wasn't all that bad. John and I dated on a party line. Everybody in the community knew what was talking about. Uh, listen, we pulled out of that parking lot. As we turned out, a car turned in. I looked at my father. I said, Daddy, that's your car. That was your car that just turned into that parking lot. He said, you think so? I said, I know so. That's your car. I looked in the rearview mirror. That car's beginning to turn around. We turned around, got back to that parking lot. We pulled up in my mom, sitting in my dad's car, window down. I let my window down. My broken-hearted mother looked at me and my dad and told us that my older brother had just been in an accident. My dad said, how is he? She said, I don't know. Ladies and gentlemen, fear was aroused. He's right there with you on that pew. It won't take much to wake him up, and he'll grip your heart, touch your life. I drove my dad to his home. My mom, I think he got that road with my, my mom. We got back to their home. We had no idea. My brother was in Pascagoula, Mississippi. They got their stuff together. We drove 100, 120 miles past Cagoula, Mississippi, not knowing what we were going to find when we got there. But I know one thing, ladies and gentlemen, for all those miles, fear was talking. All those miles, fear was touching. And all those miles, fear was tormenting us because the storm always arouses fear. Listen, my God, I feel the Holy Ghost in this house tonight. You just get a hold of that. And when that fear comes, oh, my God, God, oh, I'll never forget it. My father, my brother passed into eternity, left a wife and a baby boy. Are you listening to me? But that's how fast that fear can be aroused in your life. He is never very far away, and that spirit of fear is just waiting for the storm to come. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. The storm has come. Fear has been aroused. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to come to pass because fear comes. It's talking to you. It's touching your life. Your stomach's upset. It's tormenting you. You don't know what's going to happen. You lost your job. Your baby's sick. Fear has been aroused in your life. Ladies and gentlemen, Fear is awakened by that storm. Fear paralyzes. Fear begins to paralyze us to where we can't think straight. We can't even operate as we should. Amos said in chapter 2 of his book, verse 14 through 16, 
when that fear comes, he tells us, the flight shall perish from the swift. The strong shall not strengthen his force. Neither shall the mighty deliver himself. Neither shall he stand that handleth the bow. And he that is swift of foot shall not deliver himself. And he that is courageous among the mighty shall flee away naked in that day. I can handle it. I can conquer it. I can outrun it. But when fear is aroused, all of that strength and all of that confidence. Now, fear makes us think God doesn't care, God doesn't love us, God's not there at all. Now hold on to your hat. There are 12 disciples, Christ and fear in that boat. You got that picture. Twelve disciples, Christ and fear. That storm comes and arouses fear. But Christ is still asleep. Because, ladies and gentlemen, the storm never arouses Christ. The Bible said there's a great wind, there's waves, the water's filling up the ship, and he is in the hinder part of the ship asleep. Fear is always awakened by the storm. Fear always responds to the storm. Now, God, somebody hear me. God's talking to somebody. But Christ, Christ himself, the storm never alarms him. The storm in this instant had no effect at all upon our Christ. Christ is not moved nor aroused by the storm even though it seemed as if they're all going to die. But Jesus Christ remains asleep in the hinder part of the ship. My God, oh, we're going to have some church here tonight. Now let me talk to somebody. The storm has come. The trouble has come. Fear has been aroused. aroused. But you're sitting on that pew tonight. You're dealing with fear. But where is Christ? You're dealing with fear. But where is the Son of God? You're dealing with fear. I'm telling you it thundered two times and you're under the bed. Are you listening to me? I said it thundered twice and you're under the bed. You're scared to death. You went to the doctor and you're scared to death. But it seems as if Jesus Christ is still asleep. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus Christ is not aroused by your storm. Storm wakes up fear, but that's not what arouses Christ. You say, how can Christ not be aroused by the, aroused by the storm? Do you remember he said we're going to pass over to the other side. The storm arouses fear, but it does not arouse Christ at all. 
This is a critical moment in our lives. It's a critical moment for us physically. It's a critical moment for us spiritually when the storm has come and fear is wide awake and fear is talking and we can't hear anything from God. And fear is touching and we can't feel God at all. When fear is so near, but God seems so far away. God's talking to us tonight. I believe that I'm talking to folks in this house tonight that fear is there. The storm has aroused him if you could use him as a person. The worst want to scream, where are you, God, have you forgotten me? Have you left me? Allowed this fear. The storm comes, the master continues sleeping. David cried out in Psalm 10 and 1. Somehow other David has faced the storm. Fear has come, aroused by the circumstance. But where are you, God? And David cries out, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Can I say that one more time? Psalm 10 and 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Yes. Yes. Fear standing up in the midst of that boat saying you're going to die. Jesus is in the back of the ship. Sound asleep. The reality is that Christ is just as close as fear is. The reality is that in fact he's closer than fear. Fear is a force that comes from without. But Christ is a force that comes from within. The heart of the child of God. The fact is this. As fear responds to the storm and Jesus continues to sleep because he is waiting. Yes. He is waiting to be awakened. Can I preach a little here? He is waiting to be aroused. But the thing that awakens Christ is totally different from that that arouses fear. Circumstances arouses fear. Things that happen causes fear to stand up. But Christ is aroused by the cry 
of his children. The fear comes. They cry out to Christ and say unto him, Carest thou not that we perish? And it's the cry from the heart of a child of God that awakens fear, awakens Christ. In your life tonight, the circumstance has caused fear to come with all of its cohorts and comrades. People are spirits like worry and anxiety and depression and everything else. But Christ is there also in that boat. All he's waiting for is for somebody to cry out, Jesus, help us, oh God. Now follow with somebody and listen to me. We see this illustrated time and time and time again in the word of God. There was, my God, somebody hear this preacher. There was a time in, in this book when he sent those disciples across that sea alone. And there they got him in the midst of the sea and there's a storm. Jesus is in the mountain. He sees them in that storm and he comes down out of that mountain and begins to walk on those waves. I'm telling somebody tonight he still walks on water. He still walks on water. But you know something? The Bible said they saw him coming. They thought he was a ghost. They thought he was some kind of apparition. They thought he was some kind of spirit. And the Bible said he would have passed them by. My God say amen. He would have passed them by. But they cried out to him. Ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is in your boat. Jesus is in your ship. Jesus is in your home. Jesus is in your family. Jesus is in your car. Jesus is in your circumstance. The person run the red light didn't wake him up, but when you said, Lord, have mercy, he jumped straight up into your life and into your circumstance. You say, preacher, how did the storm wake up Christ? No, no, but I'll tell you one thing. When you lift those hands tonight and cry out to God. He will arise in your life. He walks by. The disciples cry out, is that you, Lord? Peter says yes. Or Christ says yes. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come unto you on the water. So he said, come. Come, Peter steps out on the boat, and I, this story illustrates well what I'm saying. The Bible said that when Peter saw the waves boisterous, what happened? Fear woke up. When he saw the waves boisterous, he was afraid. And the scripture said, he began to sink. Where's Jesus? He's standing right there. Is he going to stand there and let Peter sink? Peter didn't have to, when he saw those waves, 
He didn't have to lift his hands. And he said, and said, oh, fear, come and make me afraid. Not at all. Listen to me, somebody. But he called out, Lord, save me. And that hand reached down and pulled him out of those way. Somebody is going to wake up the master in this house tonight. Somebody is going to wake up the master. But let me preach on a little first. We see it all through the word of God. We go back to the Old Testament. Back to the Old Testament. We see it. We see Saul and the armies of Israel going out to the valley of Elah to face the Philistines. There they are. The armies of the Philistines on one side of that valley. The armies of Israel on the other. John and I had the privilege to visit the valley of Elah. And uh, there's that little stream. And the guide told us, he said, uh, this is the mountain where Israel was. Over here was the Philistine. And this is the stream where David went and got his five smooth stones out of the stream. And my wife had it in her mind. And she said, her mind, that I'm going to find the rock that David slung and, and hit Goliath in the forehead. And I didn't think we was going to get her on the bus. It didn't look like because she's still hunting that rock. She said, I know it's here somewhere. And she... <laughs> She finally came out there with a stone about that big around, and she said, I think I got it. I said, baby, I don't think a little shepherd boy should be able to sling a stone quite that big. I think you better look again. But there they are, the Valley of Elah, and listen carefully. On that other side over there, there's a champion of the Philistines that would come out every day and roar. He would come out every day and roar, send me a man to fight. I'm a Philistine, you're a child of God. You're, you're a child of, uh, of the Hebrews. You're an Israelite. Send me a man to fight. If I win, then you become our servants. If he wins, we become your servants. And the Bible said, when that giant would roar, when that giant would roar day after day, that those soldiers of Israel would be so overcome by fear that they would run and hide in the foxholes and in the rocks and in the caves. But because fear would respond. My God, listen to me. That roar of that giant would wake up fear and fear would cause them to tremble and then hide themselves. And day after day after day after day, Goliath roared and fear got up and they ran to hide. God never responded. Whoa, say man. I said, God never responded. My father, I'm I'm going to preach a little to somebody here. Day after day, fear responds to Goliath, but God never responded. But one day, a little shepherd boy came to the valley of Elam. My God. One day, a little shepherd boy came to check on his big, brave, scaredy cat soldier brothers down to the valley of Elam. He had brought some cheese and some refreshment for the captain of the 
their army. And that giant came out to roar. God has not moved. God didn't go up there and just smite that giant. Fear came and took control. But there was a little shepherd boy that said, who is that uncircumcised Philistine? You better watch out, David. You're going to fool around and wake up God. Well, say man, you're going to fool around and arouse the God of heaven. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that roars against the armies of God? They told him the story, and David said, I'll go fight him. I'll go fight that Philistine. They took him to Saul, and Saul said, you're just a boy. You can't do it. He said, listen, Mr. Saul, I was keeping my father's sheep, and a lion roared out, and by the help of God, I killed that lion, and there was a bear, and he said, in the name of that same God, I'll just a little bit long story short, he said, I can't wear your armor, I'll take this sling, and I'll go, and he walked up that hill, that devil come out, and said, what do you think, I am a dog, you think I'm a dog, that you come against me with a stick and a sling, he said, I'm going to feed your carcass to the fowls of the air, he's done this for days, and fear always responds to his cry. But on this day, somebody said, I come to you in the name of the Lord God of Israel. And ladies and gentlemen, when a shepherd boy called on God, God responded to the cry of that shepherd boy. And in a few minutes' time, he's coming down that hill with Goliath's head in his hand. Ladies and gentlemen, he's as close to you as fear is. He's just waiting to hear you cry and your cry is going to wake him up. He never responds. In a jail down at Philippi, Paul and Silas in stocks and bonds. He never responds. When that, when that Philippian jailer puts their hands and feet in those stocks, clicks them shut and snaps the padlock, God doesn't come down and break the lock and set them free. Not at all. But he did at midnight. Because it don't take much praying and it don't take much singing to wake up the master. And at midnight, they begin to pray and sing praises unto God. God said, fear, fear, you might have woke up when they slapped that padlock shut. But it's my time to wake up now because somebody's praying. And somebody's praising. And somebody is worshiping God. Somebody in this house tonight needs to wake up the master. You're not going to wake him up by getting out of your seat when I'm done and walking out that door saying I'm going to die. You're not going to wake him up 
by getting up out of that seat and walking out that door and saying, I'm a loser. You're not going to wake him up by getting up and walking out of this building and say it's helpless and it's hopeless and there's nothing I can do. But I can tell you one thing, ladies and gentlemen, you can wake him up if you'll get up off of that pew, walk down these aisles with your hands up praising God, worshiping and magnifying God. Ladies and gentlemen, all through the word of God, we're told that he hears the prayer of the righteous. We're told that call upon the Lord while he is near. We're told, ladies and gentlemen, that if we seek and we'll find him, it will knock, he'll open that door and we'll come in unto him. I walked into the Jones County, Mississippi jail on a Sunday morning way back in 1968, I think it was, 18-year-old, I'm called to preach. I want to preach. There ain't many places to preach, but somebody said you can preach in the jail. That's right. I'm telling you, you ought to have been there. Here I am, a kid, talking to those criminals and those crooks. I'm telling them they're going to hell. I'm glad there's bars between me and them. I'd walk in there on Sunday morning, preach to those guys. Walked in there one Sunday morning, there's one of my classmates from school. I preached to him too. One Sunday morning, I walked in that jail. And in my very crude, simple, elementary way, I preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I finished that short, simple message. I asked that question. Any of you men want to give your heart to God? I was not alone. There was others there with me. And I said, if you'll come forward, we'll pray with you. And we'll ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and forgive you of your sin. A young man, 21 years old, he said, came walking up to those bars. Brother Raymond, he gripped those bars so tightly that his knuckles were white and tears were running down his face. I was talking to a very scared young man. He looked at me, and he said, I'm 21 years old from the state of Florida, raised in church, raised in an assembly of God's Sunday school. And he said, I turned to the bottle, preacher, whatever he called me, boy, whatever. And he said, here I am, 21 years old an alcoholic. And then he asked me a question. He said, why did God let this happen to me? Why didn't God meet me at the door of that bar and knock me down on that sidewalk and not let me go into that bar? In my crude way, I tried to explain to him, sir, God lets you do anything you want to do. Because your remorse on a Sunday morning behind the bars 
It's not enough to wake up God. God's only moved when you call him. God only moves when you call on him. The storm aroused fear, but it was a cry of a scared heart that aroused the master. My God. Oh, I know. I know. You say, but preacher, I don't understand. Fear responds so quickly. Why does God tarry? How long does it take God to respond to the cry of the heart? I, 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 we were talking last night after service, and, and I shared that. I'm going to share this story with you. I, I, there was a man. He was a vile man. He was a wicked man. He was a filthy man, a vile, profane, filthy mouth. You know the kind, don't you? You work with him, right? Oh, you know him pretty well. Just a vile man. Riding this horse. Riding this horse. And the horse threw him. Went through the air, hit the, hit the ground, hit his head on a rock or something. Went into a coma. How long does it take God to respond? He went into a coma. Stayed in a coma, I think it was between three and four weeks. And then one day, he woke up, came out of a coma. And the same man that was so profane, such a filthy mouth that would take the name of the Lord in vain, awakened from his coma, praising God. Worshiping God. Thank you, Jesus. His family standing around his bed looked on with shock and amazement. They had never heard such talk and such words come from the mouth of their father. And finally they looked at him and said, Dad, what's wrong? What has happened? Before this coma, you were cursing, swearing, taking the name of our God in vain. And now you stay four weeks in a coma. You wake up saying, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. What happened? He said, I'll tell you what happened. When that horse threw me, it woke up fear. And he said, fear gripped my heart. But he said, when I was in the air, between that saddle and that rock, I said, Lord, have mercy on me. My God, somebody listen to me. And he said, while I was in the air between that saddle and that rock, Jesus Christ came into my heart. Jesus Christ saved my soul. Are you listening to me, somebody? Are you listening to me? Oh, my God, what are you saying? Took away fear. Took away fear. Took away dread. I'm going to close here shortly, but i got to preach to you just a little. Ladies and gentlemen, all God's got to do is to hear a cry. All he's got to do is hear that whimper of faith. We were in uh, South Carolina three weeks ago, I think it was. 
in meeting. Let me share this with you quickly. Three weeks ago in meeting, after service one night in the fellowship hall, a young man, I say young to me, probably mid-40s, came to me and he said, Brother Kenny, I heard you preach a sermon. I heard a message, YouTube, somewhere or other. He said, I heard you preach from Luke chapter 15, the lost coin, the lost son, the lost sheep, and how. And he said, you made a statement in that sermon and said that Christ was three for three. He got back the boy, got back the, the sheep, got back the coin, and said, you made a statement, said, if you'll walk with God, believe God, you can go three for three. He said, I woke up one morning, a lineman works on the power line. He said, a man worked with us. It was in a terrible accident, in a coma, 5% chance to live. And he said, I began to pray, oh God, don't let him die. Said, I started to the hospital to pray for him. But he said, before I got there, I got a call that a young lady had been in an accident and was in a coma and prayed for her. Then he said, not long after that, I got another call that a little nine-year-old boy had been hurt and he was in the hospital not expected to live. That young man told me, he said, that sermon came back to me and said, I lifted my voice and said, oh God, I want to go three for three. I want all three of them to live. Are you listening? And they all three did live. I'll just, we won't go through the whole thing, but God healed miraculously all of them. But he said, I got there. I went and prayed for my friend. I went to the room of the young lady. She's in a coma. Said, I went in to introduce myself. Told him who I was. I'd been asked to come pray. He said, I prayed for that young lady and said she never responded at all. Didn't open her eyes. Didn't say anything. But he said, I saw one tear. Woo! Somebody listen. All you got to do is wake up the master and the storm's going to cease. I said, all you got to do is wake up the master and the storm and the wind is going to lie down. He said, all I saw was one tear rolled down her cheek. I prayed and I left. He said, I went back in a few days to visit. The family said she's worse. Her condition has worsened and they're not allowing her to have visitors. He said, I stood at the door of that intensive care room where she was. Could not go in to pray. But he said, I laid my hand on that door and prayed for that young lady. God, don't let her die. Come on here. The storm wakes up fear. But when you whisper the name of Jesus, he jumps up off of his pillar and goes to work. He said, I went back a few days later. She's out of intensive care. They tell me she's down on the hall in a room. He said, I go knock on that door and I hear a voice on the other side of that door as weak as it was. Said, come in. He said, I open the door and there sat that young lady in a chair reading her Bible. Reading her, my God, listen, somebody, come on. Somebody wake up the master tonight. Lord God, there she was, sitting in a chair reading her Bible. She looked at me, sitting there reading her Bible, and said, I've been waiting for you to come. Where have you been? She 
said, you've been waiting for me? She said, yes. He said, you don't know me. She said, yes, I do. The storm wakes up fear. But it's when somebody whispers, Jesus, it wakes up the master. She said, yes, I know you. He said, where did you meet me? She said, the day in that room. When you walked in there and prayed for me, I saw you. That yeah. actually, she said, I saw you. He said, but you didn't open your eyes. She said, I saw you. And I heard you pray. Somebody needs to wake up the I saw you. I heard your prayer. And she said, as you were praying, I came in. Fear responds to the storm. Jesus responds to the cross. Somebody, just slip your hand up and say, Lord, I'm going to wake you up tonight. I'm going to wake up a man. You understand what happens, don't you? Fear responds to the storm, not Christ, because he already knows. He already knows what's going to happen, and he already knows they're not going to die. So he responds to their cry. But then the storm and fear responds to Christ. Fear responds to the storm. Christ responds to the cry of his children. And then the storm and fear respond to Christ. When he looked at that wind and said, peace, be still. Some music. I pastored a man, a great man of God, a man that had served God for many, many years faithfully. Late in his life, some things happened that he had no control over, but he was a victim. My God. After many, many years of serving the Lord, he became a victim of circumstances beyond his control. Other people, but this precious man became a victim. Out of that storm came depression. Out of that terrible ordeal came depression and fear and fear talked to him 
and fear taunted him. His daughter called me one day and she said, my dad's got to have help. Would you go? I said, yes. I went to that house and I found a precious old man sitting in a chair, depressed, oppressed, scared to death. And I tried to talk to him. And Brother Greg, all he wanted to talk about was the problem. All he wanted to talk about was the trouble. And I realized right away that we were in some kind of spiritual quicksand. And the longer I let him sit there and talk about the problem, the deeper we were going. Come on here. But I remembered his testimony of how Jesus saved him as a young man. And I looked at him, and he's told me that he don't think he's saved and he's going to hell and all of that. But I remembered his testimony of how Jesus saved him many years ago. And I looked at him, and I called his name, and I said, Brother, would you share your testimony with me one more time of how you got saved? He said, well, we were in revival down at the church and the preacher preached that night and I fell under conviction and I got up and went to the altar and prayed but said just seemed like I couldn't get through, couldn't get what I wanted. So he said, I went home. He said, Preacher, you know where that old log house is up there in the woods? I said, yeah, I know exactly where it is. He said, that's where we lived. He said, but I got home that night, and I just didn't feel satisfied in my spirit. But he said, I got in the back room of that old log house. And before I went to bed, I got down by that bed, and I began to call on God. He said, I prayed for a while and said, after a space of time and prayer, said, I felt the Spirit of God come in and lift that load and I knew I was saved. And then I heard it. Hallelujah. I said, tell me how the Lord baptized you with the Holy Ghost. Woo! And begin to tell that story. And in a few minutes, I heard a little, thank you, Jesus. Don't take much to wake him up. I left him. I don't know how long I stayed, but it didn't take very many hallelujahs and thank you, Jesus. And I love you, Lord, till he come up out of that recliner. And he started marching around his daughter's coffee table in her living room, praising, magnifying, glorifying God. I'm right in there behind him, brother, and we're both praising God and speaking in tongues and having a hallelujah time. 
and I had some other things I had to do, so I just snuck out and left him. And the last time I saw him that day, he had those hands up talking in tongues, praising and magnifying and glorifying God. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. Don't pet your fear. Don't pet your fear. Don't pamper your fear. Wake up the master, and he will calm that storm in your life. And then the Bible said they feared exceedingly and said, what kind of man is this? But it was a different kind of fear. The fear of the storm was a fear that they would be distraught, but that other destroyed, but that other fear was a fear of reverence that said, I love, I want somebody to get on your feet and say, fear, you've had your time. The storm woke you up, but now I'm throwing my hands up and I'm going to worship God and I'm going to call on Christ and Jesus Christ is going to calm this storm. When you wake up to Hotama, what are you doing sitting there? Somebody call on him. The storm arouses fear, but your praise, your worship arouses the Christ. destroy me because even though you were aroused by the storm my cry my cry is going to awaken the master and he's going to say peace 